in another week or two. January 1956, five Christian missionaries were murdered in South America. Some of you have probably heard of this. It's way too early for you to any of you to remember. Nate Saint, Roger Udarian, Ed McCulley, Pete Fleming, and Jim Elliott. They were seeking to contact and evangelize the Stone Age tribe there called the Aka Indians. Um, these Indians were known for their hostility toward outsiders, and the Akas speared and hacked the five men to death. Nate Saint was five years old at this time. Um, pardon me, Steve Saint, Nate's son, was five years old at this time. And his recollection, he's now in his 60s, and his recollection was not only did he lose his father, he lost his hero. Um, again, Steve in his 60s now, he, he visits and he lectures uh, various Christian functions. And once after speaking to a group and telling them that God had, merely, had, not, only, had not merely allowed the deaths of his father and fellow missionaries, but had planned them, and I know that's a strong thing to hear if you're not used to um, hearing the Bible exposit, exposited, again, as he explained to this group, not only had God, uh, God had not only merely allowed it, God had planned it. God had planned the martyrdom of his father and the other four. And a, and a man approached him and he said, Don't you ever say that again about my God. And I've been in ministry now for quite a while. And usually when you hear someone say something like that, when they say, well, my God would never do that. My God's not like that. Usually that's what you're talking about. You're talking about their God. You're not really talking about the biblical God at all. You're talking about some pseudo-God or cartoon God, a caricature Jesus that they have in their minds, not the biblical Jesus. Steve responded like this when this man challenged him on this point. Steve Saint responded like this, Don't anyone tell me that this can't be so. If God could plan the death of His own righteous Son, why couldn't He plan the death of my Father? And Steve went on to quote Acts 2, where God is quite explicit. He says, My Son was delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. You guys know this famous text, I'm sure. It wasn't an accident that Jesus ended up on the cross. He came for that reason. He came to end up on the cross. The Bible is clear. God gives life. I think we talked about this Thursday evening in the Young Adult Bible Study. God gives life and God takes life. This is His prerogative. The problem that we have with death, even as Christians sometimes, is we take a me-centered view to it. I mean... We fail to take a God-centric view when it comes to death. Death is God's business. Again, God gives life and God takes life. Our days are numbered. They are ordained as the psalmists tell us. This is the sovereign business of God. How does God speak about the death of His children? I read this at my father's funeral. Psalm 116.15 Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His godly ones. 
So Steve Saint writes, Why is it that we want every chapter to be good when God promises only that in the last chapter will He make sense of all the other chapters? I love the way John MacArthur says it. I've said it to you many times. Um, Christianity is not a run through the park with a bouquet of balloons. I know that there's a lot of false messages out there. there are, there's, there's multiple false gospels out there that says, well, God just wants to make your life better. That's the chief purpose of God is to make your life better. You won't find that written anywhere in the Bible, beloved. You won't find it written in the Bible. God is interested in saving His people. But sometimes His people have really, really hard lives. It's what we see uh, this evening in Hebrews 11. These men and women who suffered greatly by faith. It's not because they didn't have faith. It's because they did have faith. That's why they suffered. They were in hard circumstances. And because they had faith, they suffered greatly. Some were even sawn in two as we heard the text read. So it's important for us to think rightly about this. Beloved, it's important for us not to get up in the false message of the prosperity preachers. That is another Gospel. That is a lie. You can't pull eternity's promises into time. God will do all His good pleasure in our lives. This is what He says. And what does the Christian do? We just believe. We believe and trust. Hard day? Good day? Lean day? Fat day? It's all in God's hands. It's all in God's hands and we trust Him. That's part of what faith is. It's what we see in the text. Tonight, Steve Sane is right. God never promises complete understanding and a happily ever after resolution to every problem we have in our life. He never promises that. God does not promise that in time. That is the promise of Eternity. So the men and women of Hebrews 11, they understood this. They weren't in it for their temporal health, wealth, and prosperity. They were in it because they loved God. And that's why every true Christian is in it. We love God. I'm not in this thing for my own self-interest, ultimately. I'm in this thing because I love Christ and I can't help it. I can't help but love this awesome God. This is not about self-interest. Of course, we come to Jesus that we might be saved but ultimately, that's not even about self-interest. I cannot not come to this beautiful God who loves me like this. And He's called me into this awesome life of walking with God, right? It's a life huge with faith. Huge with spiritual adventure. Even if I'm sawn in two. We've talked about it many times. Daniel was delivered. Stephen was stoned. And Jesus was with both of them. It doesn't matter if it's good or bad, the circumstances of our life. What matters is we belong to God. That's what matters. Amen? And He's faithful. He's a faithful God. He can be trusted. So as we finish our look tonight at Hebrews 11, just a brief review. You remember verse 1, God defines true biblical faith for us. It is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And we synthesize that by saying that God is the substance of things hoped for. God is the evidence of things not seen. You can take the word faith everywhere it appears in Hebrews 11 and you can insert the word God and it works. 
We don't have faith in our faith. Like many charismatics do. We don't have faith in our faith. We have faith in God. We have faith in God. Verse 6, God tells us, this is the verse that God used to change my life, to turn it upside down for the rest of my days, and I'm so thankful for it. I love this verse. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You must not only believe that God is God, you must believe He's a good God. And if you only have the first half, you'll never be a disciple. You, you'll stop at being a church member. Uh, if you don't believe God's good, you're certainly never going to take any risks for Him. You're certainly not going to enter into hard obedience to follow Him. Um, only if you understand He's a rewarder. Hebrews 11.6 And once you understand that, you will be fearless. <laughs> you don't have to be afraid anymore. Your God is God. It's part of what faith means. It's part of what the Lord is saying to us here in Hebrews 11. And then as I've said so many times, but I'm going to say it one more time, so men like me, religious professionals like me, can't water down God's definition of faith, although most denominations have tried to water it down and have watered it down. God illustrates it. 16 named men and women. God says, okay, I've defined it. I told you what it is. This is what it looks like. 16 named men and women. This is what it looks like. It looks like men and women who go out in the world and do My Word. They make me famous. They make the name of Jesus famous by the way they live. Everybody knows they're a Christian. Everybody in their orbit, they know, they know that, that you're a Christian. Right? And Jesus is getting glory by your works of righteousness and your deeds of kindness and your deeds of love, your deeds of compassion. <coughs> Your words of truth. Jesus is honored and glorified. Even if those words are rejected, right? Even if you speak these words and they're rejected, God is being honored as you speak His name and His Word in the world. That's what disciples do, beloved. That's what we do. <clears throat> so, as I mentioned to you last week, and I just want to point it out to you briefly, not only do we have this great chapter of faith, but there's this kind of maturing and progression of faith that overlays the chapter. So I'm going to just briefly review that. Verses 7-12, through 12, uh, God warned Noah, God called Abraham, and God promised Sarah. We made the point that God initiates faith. True faith, biblical faith, saving faith, born-again faith, supernatural faith, the faith that changes the life, God initiates by His overture through His Word. Verses 13-19, to 19, we see that if in fact we have received the gift of faith from God, if we have received it, if it's real, it spills out into the life. We become seekers of God. It's what we do. It's who we are. I mean, it could just be our job description. Everything else would be a subordinate to it. Our job description is, I am a seeker of God. I seek God. In my home, in my work, at the university... In all that I do, in my entertainment, I'm seeking God. I am a seeker of God. Our faith becomes conspicuous. It spills out into the life. Last week we saw in Moses' life, verses 23-29, to 
That real faith makes hard decisions to obey God and do hard things. Let me ask you, when was the last time you did a hard thing in obedience? It's just what happens if you're a Christian. Now, you can be a cultural Christian and show up for church when it's convenient and never take any risks for God. But if you love Jesus and you're walking with Him, (laughs) it doesn't matter how hard it is. You just do what He says, right? In faith, it doesn't mean we don't tremble. Of course we tremble! Sometimes we tremble. It's okay to tremble. But we still obey, right? We still obey. God's still God. He knows what to do with my trembling, right? (laughs) He knows what to do with my trembling. So, and we get to the end of the chapter here this week. uh, Verses 30 to 38. And we see that in genuine faith. God is beautiful enough. He's desirable enough. He's compelling enough to not only live for, but to die for. And that's what we see in the lives of some of these men and women tonight. So even the most superficial read of the Bible discredits the phony health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. I think I've said that to you enough. Sometimes God's people, when they exercise their faith, when they obey Jesus, when they're really walking with God, Sometimes they suffer greatly. Sometimes they die. It's just, it's on the pages of Scripture. It's part of the history of the church. Many of us live in very safe places. As my seminary professor used to say, it's a respite. This is a time of respite. Persecution will come again, even in the most safe places now. I mean, this was a. This was a seminary professor standing right in the the heart of America, Kansas City, Kansas, and saying, it is a respite. It is a respite. Persecution will arise again against true believers. And some in the West, we're beginning to see that. We are beginning to see that. So, men and women who love God understand David's words in in the psalm, because your loving kindness is better than life, I will praise you. Amen? Life, death, it really doesn't matter. Yes, we may tremble. Yes, it may be hard. But at the end of the day, your loving kindness is better than my life, Lord Jesus. I treasure you more than I treasure my life. More than I treasure anything. I treasure you, Christ Jesus. This is where the mature Christian comes. God, You are better than life. Real Christians, we love this life. We're not a cult of death like Islam. We love this life. We're not seeking martyrdom, but if it comes, if it comes, we will receive it. Christianity is about life. God's called us to life. And death for the Christian, it's just another step in life. (laughs) It's just stepping out of this dimension into the next. Amen? It's just part of life for us. So, real Christians, we don't follow Jesus for health, wealth, and prosperity. We follow Him because He's God and He's awesome. He satisfies our soul. I love how one theologian says it. 
He says, He who has God in everything in the world has no more than he who has God only. Amen? I'll read it to you again. He who has God in everything else in the world has no more than he who has God only. So we're in verse 30. You see here the, the story of, of Jericho and Rahab. I'm sure that most of you are familiar with this story. Now Jericho was a fortress city. It was a formidable, a, a formidable structure. I think the walls were probably wide enough at the top for two chariots to stand side by side. And God said to Joshua and the people, this one's mine. All you got to do is show up. March around a little bit. Blow some trumpets when I tell you. And scream real loud. Now, this is not an awe-inspiring military plan, right? Um, but this is what God tells His people to do. It reminds us a lot. It reminds me a lot of Gideon's story. When God calls Gideon to take 300 men and and go down to the enemy camp, outnumbered 450 to 1. They have torches and, pit, and, a, and some pitchers and trumpets as well. Now, does God need men to march around the city and to blow a trumpet? Does God need men to take torches and pitchers uh, and, and, a, and a trumpet down to the enemy camp? What's God doing here? What's God doing? God doesn't need, God doesn't need any of these things, right? I mean, He could speak Jericho out of existence. What he's teaching the Jews, what he's teaching the, the Exodus Jews is the same thing he's teaching you and me in our lives. You have to show up and believe. Even if it looks impossible. And it was impossible for Gideon. And it is impossible for the Exodus Jews in the face of Jericho. It was impossible. But God says, you show up, I'll do the rest. This is what happens in the Christian's life. All we have to do is believe and obey. God does all the heavy lifting. It's all we have to do, beloved. I hope that some of you have already learned this and are exercising it on a regular basis. If God calls me to do a thing, it looks impossible. Okay, He's called me to do it. I'll show up. And guess what always happens if you show up? Guess who else shows up? <laughs> God shows up. Even if you get sawn in two. Right? Yeah. God always shows up. I think this is one thing that the Lord is teaching the Exodus Jews. He always does all the heavy lifting. But we must show up. We've talked about this, but I want to reiterate, God gives what He asks. God gives what He asks. Ephesians 2.8, God gives is the giver of faith. God is the giver of faith. And God is the object of this faith. All we have to do is obey. That's all we have to do. Christianity is so simple. It's so simple. We're saved by grace through faith. It's all a gift from God. Then all we have to do is watch the back of Jesus stay on His heels. All we have to do is look at the heels of Jesus. That's all we have to do. It's not hard, beloved. It's so easy. Christianity, biblical Christianity is so easy. Throw away all the dogma and all the ritual and all the sacraments and all the hierarchy and all the garbage and just look at Christ and love Him. That's true Christianity. That is true biblical Christianity. 
So by faith, the walls of Jericho came down and we see Rahab. Now, what is Rahab's profession? Does anybody remember? She's a prostitute. Don't you love this about God? An equal opportunity Savior. He saves this prostitute. She's in the Hall of Fame. Hebrews 11 is the Hall of Fame of faith. She's a prostitute. But God loves this prostitute and God has saved this prostitute. And this prostitute acts on her faith and she hides the spies at the risk of her own life. What other famous text is Rahab in? Anybody remember? Unbelievably, this harlot is in the legal genealogy of Jesus Christ. Right? Don't you love it? Don't you love the grace of God? You're a harlot too, right? You know this. You're a spiritual harlot. Don't you know this about yourself? If you've read the Bible and understood it, we're all spiritual harlots. We've all loved something more than we loved God at some point in our life. We've all been guilty. We're all guilty of being a, a harlot. But by the grace and mercy of God, we too can be included in Hebrews 11, Right? It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Rahab the harlot became the mother of Boaz who married Ruth, the great, great grandmother of King David. What an awesome account. So I, let me just stop and ask you, do you have faith in God and are you exercising that faith? It's good that you're here today. It's good that you're in church. Christians should be in church on Sunday. In fact, God commands it that we gather together and worship Him. It's what we do. It's what we do. But are you living it out in the world? Are you exercising your faith? Is it visible? Is it conspicuous? This is what matters to God. And of course, if you're not worshiping Him on Sunday, if you're not hearing the Word exposited, if you're not fellowshipping with true believers, you're, not gonna do the, you're, you're never going to do the Word out there <laughs> if you don't come... If you don't study and, and worship and, and sit under the preached Word of God, you're, you're going to be emaciated. You, you will have no strength. You cannot go out in the world and do your faith. You've cut yourself off from your sustenance. Verse 32, the writer here says, well, I, I don't have time to tell you about all these guys. Verse 33, but by faith they conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, not accepting their release in order that they might obtain a better resurrection. A better resurrection. Yeah, he says, I don't have time to, to tell you all about these guys, but this is how they lived. And so we see here, by faith, the faith of these men and women, it unleashes the power of God in their life. It unleashes the power of God in their life. They conquered. They obtained promises. You say, well, Jim, I, I don't think I'm going to shut the mouths of lions this week. It's not on my itinerary this week. 
escaping the edge of the sword. Uh, uh, it's not on my calendar. It's not on my schedule. But here's something that's definitely on your schedule. To perform acts of righteousness. There it is. You know, there it is. That's what God expects you to do this week. Acts of righteousness. In your home, your spouse, your family, your friends, your co-workers, at the school, at the university, you're going to be doing acts of righteousness this week. It's what Christians do. You say, well, Jim, I haven't conquered any kingdoms and I haven't quenched the power of fire. Well, maybe that's next week. This week, I know you can do one of these. You can perform acts of righteousness and everybody can smell Jesus on your life. Everybody can smell the beauty of Christ, the desirability of Christ, the wonder and awe of Christ. It's on you. The aroma of God is, is on you. So their lives and deeds are a mighty testament to the power of God. It's conspicuous in their life. Let's just pull David out of the crowd here. You know the, the famous account. It's one of my favorite. You guys know it. He went out to fight Goliath. Now Goliath, he was three meters tall. He had a, his armor weighed 57 kilos. His spear alone weighed 14 kilos. And the Bible says, King Saul and all the army of Israel were dismayed and they were afraid. And here's this little boy. He may be 12. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine who taunts the armies of God? Let no, man, let no man's heart fail on account of him. I will fight him. <laughs> He's probably 12. We don't really know. Maybe 13. It doesn't matter. He's fearless. Why is he fearless? Hebrews 11.6 He not only believes that God is God, he believes that God is what? Good. He believes that God is a reward. He's seen it with the lion and the bear. He killed the lion and the bear. God was with him against the lion and the bear. There's no difference with Goliath. He's bigger. He's taller. He's got a lot of cool armor, but it doesn't matter. God's still God. You gotta love this about David. So the boy faced this giant with a slingshot, and Goliath says, You you come out here against me with a stick, right? He's mocking David, and David says to Goliath, I come to you in the name of God. Gives me goosebumps. Beloved, this is how you live your faith. You come against the hard thing in the name of God. You come against the persecution in the name of God. David says, I come to you in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, whom you have taunted this day. The Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and I will remove your head. And then David said, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. That's your job, Christian. That all in your orbit would know that Jesus Christ is King. He is God. He is Savior. He is reigning. He is sovereign. He is returning. I know we get confused. We think our job's the most important thing or our family's the most important thing or our career's the most important thing or my comfort or my security or my ease is the most important thing. Beloved, if we're going to think biblically, Jesus Christ is the most important thing and He's left us here to be a witness. 
I know I say that to you all the time. That's our job, to be a witness. Is Jesus getting famous because of the way you live? It's why David fought Goliath that God would be a God of renown. Is your God a God of renown in your orbit, beloved? It's what God is calling you and me to, that our household may know that there is a God, that our work environment may know that there is a God, that those at our university will know that there is a God, that those in our neighborhood will know that there is a God, and His name is Jesus Christ. And I'm just going to reiterate what I said a couple of weeks ago. I know that many of you are involved in conversations about God out in the public square, out, out in the, the world. and Everybody's happy to talk about a generic God. Just a generic God. What you, what you need to do, if you are a Christian, you need to speak Jesus Christ into that conversation. Don't let people get away talking about a generic God. There are no other gods. There's only one God. I am God. And Jesus said, before Abraham was, what? I am. So, start this habit. You speak Jesus Christ's name into the, con- into the generic conversation about God. That's what you do. That's what disciples do. That's what Christians do. We speak His name into the conversation. So, we get here to verse 35, down through verse 38. God turns a corner on us. So there are no misconceptions about real faith. Sometimes real faith costs everything. Again, contrary to the false prosperity preachers, sometimes real faith will cost dearly. Sometimes it will cost everything. It's right here. Hebrews 11. This is God's definition and illustration of faith. Sometimes it costs everything. It's what the Lord is saying to us. So as we look at the sufferings here in verse 35 to 38, I want to make a point here. I want you to see this. This is very, this is very important that we see this. We must see that their sufferings came by faith just as the victories of verses 34, pardon me, 33 and 34. They, it's, it's the same. It's all by faith. You can see it here in verse 33. It says, by faith, and there's no break. He processes through those who gained victory and right into those who are tortured, those who are scourged, those who are mocked, those who are imprisoned, those who are chained, those who are stoned, those who are sawn in two, those who are destitute, those who are afflicted, those who are ill-treated, those who are wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. By faith, this happens. By faith, God delivers. This is beautiful. By faith, God delivers. By faith, God sustains. Right? This is God's prerogative. This is God's decision. We don't angst about whether it's going to go well for us if we obey God. We, we really shouldn't angst about that if we are. <laughs> we, we need to get before the Lord on our knees and, and give it to the Lord. Right? If we have anxiety about it, we leave that with God. All we have to do, it's easy. All we have to do is obey God. That's all we have to do. We don't have to do anything else. And the rest is up to God. 
Will he deliver or will he not? That's his business, beloved. That's God's business. He's not a genie in the bottle. You don't get to manipulate God. I don't care how you pray. I don't care how many sacraments you do. Nobody gets to manipulate Jehovah God. We get to, we get to know Him. We get to obey Him. Right? We get to walk with Him. Nobody gets to manipulate I Am. And if we're Daniel, we're Daniel. If we're Stephen, we're Stephen. <laughs> he's still a faithful God. And He's honoring Himself in Daniel's life and He's honoring Himself in Stephen's life. It's a different kind of honor. It's a different kind of glory. When God supernaturally delivers by His power, His greatness as a God is on display. When God sustains His people supernaturally in a spiritual way, His beauty is on display. Do you, do you not see the power in this? The beauty in this? What is the tortured Christian... What is he, what is he thinking? If God loved me, He'd get me out of this? Is that what the, the Christian is thinking? I think the true believer, the true believer is thinking Jesus is enough. Jesus is beautiful enough. I cannot deny him. He's beautiful enough. He's desirable enough. He's compelling enough. Look at verses 34, the contrast here between verse 34 and 37. By faith, some escaped the edge of the sword. By faith, some were put to death with the sword. Again, we need to see this and understand this. This is basic Christianity. We obey the Lord even if it's hard, even if it's impossible. So by faith, God can physically deliver. If He chooses, that's His prerogative. And sometimes by faith, in the hard place, when He allows His people to suffer, He gives Himself to His people in such an intimate way that He is enough. He's enough for them in the suffering. In my view, this is a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing. Again, when the Lord delivers by His power, the world sees His power. But when the Lord doesn't deliver by His power and they watch His people go through great suffering with a full heart and worship on their lips, they see the beauty of Christ. Not simply the power of Christ, but the sufficiency and beauty of Christ. In many ways, this is a much more powerful witness to who Jesus is. So I want you to remember when it gets really hard, and for most of us in here, it's never going to get really hard, most likely. It's not going to get hard like this. For most of us, probably. But it, when it gets really hard, look to Christ. Fall on Christ. Right? Delight in Christ. And let those around you see that He is sufficient. He is sufficient. God is sweeter than all the momentary afflictions of this life, as Paul says, 2 Corinthians 4, 17. When you have it all, faith says God is better. When you lose it all, faith says God is better. 
it's almost inconsequential. I, I, let, me understand, uh, let me make sure you I understand it's difficult. Loss is always difficult. I get it. I understand it. But in one sense, for the true Christian, if it comes because we are obeying God, if it comes because we are loving God, if it comes because we are worshiping God, God is better. God is better. So, as we conclude tonight, I just want to remind you, Steve Saint, some of you may not know the rest of his story. Remember he said that God had planned his dad's martyrdom and God intended to use it. Steve was able to see some of the fruits of that. Steve's aunt Rachel and Jim Elliott's wife Elizabeth, who some of you know, ultimately lived with the Aka Indians and evangelized the tribe. Missionary applications greatly increased after the martyrdom of these five men in the mid-50s. Countless missionaries point to this event that God used to move their hearts to become missionaries. And Minke, one of the Aka Indians who was in on the killing of the missionaries, ultimately became the adopted grandfather of Steve Saint's children. And they call him Pop. God was doing something in the tragedy. You believe this, right? You know that, as one theologian said, and this is pretty strong, it may be hard for you to hear, but he said, for the Christian, ultimately there are no tragedies. I understand we have... We, we experience temporal loss, and I'm not trying to minimize that, but what, what this theologian is saying, ultimately there are no tragedies in the Christian's life. God is using everything. God is using everything, Romans 8.28, for our good. God is, is using everything to bring us into conformity with the Son. God is using everything to grow our faith. God is using everything to bring us into deeper sanctification. You don't have a tear to spare, Okay? You don't have one tear to spare. God's in every one of them. I was reading the Psalms this morning. They are in a bottle. God has them. God, God has numbered your tears. Who else can do that? Who else loves you like that? Who else has taken an interest in you like that? Every tear you've ever shed, it's in the bottle of God. He's numbered them. You don't have one to waste, beloved. Weep if you must weep. And know that God's at work. It's how Christianity works. Steve Saint says, countless lives were impacted by the martyrdom of his father and the others. He says, don't you tell me God did not have His hand on this and in this. He says, if I could change it, I wouldn't. Now there's a man who understands that God is God. Right? This five-year-old who lost his dad, he said, I, if I could change it, I wouldn't change it. Not based on what I know now. Not based on how God used it for the glory of Christ and for the conversion of the lost. I think it's awesome. So, I've shared the tapestry illustration with you, with you before. What is the tapestry illustration? You guys know this, right? What is it? It's 
Someone tell me. There's a Twinkie in it for you if you know about the tapestry illustration. We see, we see that, have you ever looked under a tapestry? You know what it looks like? It's, it's a mess. You can't make any sense of it. There's no order to it. It's mass confusion. It looks awful, actually. But when you look at the top of the tapestry, which is God's perspective, and ultimately will be our perspective, what is it? It's a work of art. Beloved, real faith Real faith does Hebrews 11. Real faith, whether it's, yeah, good day, hard day. Let me close with a John Piper quote, of course. He says it perfectly. Faith is utterly in love with all that God will be for us beyond the grave. Let me insert. We don't demand that God perform for us adequately here. I'm not demanding God to remove Karen's cancer. Back in 2008, I never demanded that God remove it. I never stroked the, the genie bottle. I never sowed a seed that God would pay me back with healing care. And I, I never did any of these stupid, non-biblical things. I cried out to God. And I said, God, she's yours. Glorify yourself in her. Of course I asked for healing, but I never demanded it. Never demanded it. God knows best, beloved. God knows best in your life. He knows best in your spouse's life. He knows best in your children's life. Will you trust Him? Will you trust Him? Back to Piper. Faith is utterly in love with all that God will be for us beyond the grave. Faith loves God more than life. Amen? Faith loves God more than family. Faith loves God more than job, more than money, more than dream houses, more than retirement, more than comfort, more than ease. Faith says, whether God handles me tenderly or gives me over to torture, I love this God. He is my reward. Hebrews 11.6 And God says, men and women who will live like this, we talked about it last week, He said, I am not ashamed to be their God. I am not ashamed to be their God. We're going to celebrate the Lord's table tonight. Um,